CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Tuesday, December 13th, 2022 is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the things there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of reefer madness you can find at those dispensaries in the city, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky and so much more. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out the show, it's real easy. I'll say it one more time. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Rose Garden Chewy Tuesday, and here's why. Well, the Tuesday part of that sentence is obvious. It's Tuesday. So happy Tuesday, everybody. The other part is a little more convoluted. Going to have to take a deep dive. Going to have to explain. You're going to have to come along with me on the sub- subterranean mission, this journey I'm taking to the minefield of Chicago politics and into the brain of Congressman Jesus Chewy Garcia. Are you ready to take go with me on that journey, ladies and gentlemen? I knew you would. All right, follow me in this, folks. So this morning, bright and early, I get a, a text from my old friend, Clem Balanoff. That's the sound of the text landing on my phone. Clem Balanoff, of course, is the political strategist operative behind the Chewy Garcia campaign. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. I sometimes wonder if Clem doesn't think he's running for mayor and Chewy's just a sidekick that he's dragging along. That's just me talking. But anyway, uh, Clem was really excited. He sent me uh, a link to an article. I know I wasn't the only person who got this link, by the way. It's not just like Clem goes, oh, Ben, my good friend, I'm sending you. My guess is at least 100 people received this text from Clem Balanoff this morning. It was an article uh, in WTTW, shout out WTTW, uh, showing a new poll that was commissioned uh, by the Operating Engineers Union, a new poll that they commissioned that's showing Chewy Garcia is the front runner in the race for mayor. Yeah, that's the the front runner. He's not even the mayor. (laughs) The mayor should be the front runner, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. But no, according to this poll, Jesus Chewy Garcia is the front runner right now. Uh, if there was the election was today, neither candidate would get over 50 percent of the vote. We knew that was going to happen. Right. We've talked about that a lot in the show. So there'd be a runoff. Uh, the number one person in the first round would be Jesus Chewy Garcia. Number two would be Lori Lightfoot. They would meet in a runoff. And according to this poll, Chewy would literally mop the floor with Tony uh, with Lori Lightfoot. I think it was, I'm doing this off the top of my head. It was like 30 points ahead or 25 points ahead. It would be convincing victory for Jesus Chewy Garcia. Effectively, they were saying, why bother with the election? This poll shows that. Let's just proclaim Jesus Chewy Garcia, the mayor, right now. Save everybody a lot of time and money and energy. Just let's just do it the way they would do it. I don't know, in Russia. Proclaim Chewy the mayor forever. I mean, that's kind of like the subterranean message that Clem was sending me. All right. Coincidentally, I might add, I happen to be moderating a mayoral forum tonight on the northwest side of Chicago. We've talked about it on the show. I want to shout out to all the unions that helped set that up, to all the political organizations on the northwest side who set that up, State Senator Rob Martwick. And I have been going over questions. They solicited questions from reporters, from activists, from unions, just tons of different people have sent in their questions. In fact, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest, Kelly Garcia, what questions she would like to ask uh, at at tonight's forum. Everybody's like doing the civic thing. 
You know, I mean, it's like we have a responsibility to care about who our next mayor is. We have a responsibility to like show up to mayoral forums and listen to what they say and ask them questions about the issues and take notes on what they say and think about, is this the best strategy to follow for our city of Chicago? So every mayoral candidate has accepted an invitation to that forum with the exception of two mayoral candidates two mayoral candidates have said they're not going to show up at the forum one mayoral candidate is the current mayor mayor Lori lightfoot i kind of know why mayor Lori lightfoot doesn't want to show up at that forum i think kelly garcia knows as well i think candidate mayor Lori lightfoot knows that if she shows up at the forum everyone will be pounding on her you know so she said no I'm not going to allow you to get, you know, publicity and attention for pounding on me. I'm just not going to show up. I don't need that. Okay. This should be addressing criticism. Everybody was saying, th they're going to say it anyway tonight, by the way, but she don't want to be there to take it. So I kind of understand that. Jesus Chuy Garcia is a different thing. He's a candidate. He's not the incumbent. All right. So why isn't he showing up? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's now time I introduce you to something called the Rose Garden Strategy. And the Rose Garden Strategy is named for the person who invented it. And that person was Richard Nixon. That was the president of the United States, 1972. He was running for re-election against a lefty named George McGovern. A guy I believe Clem Ballinoff probably supported. Young Clem would have been about, I don't know, maybe 18 years old back in 1972. A enthusiastic young man from the southeast side of Chicago, probably knocking on doors for George McGovern. So Clem Balanoff may be one of the few people out there uh, in podcast land who knows who Richard Nixon is. He's familiar firsthand, I should say, with the Rose Garden strategy. The Rose Garden strategy has come to mean in politics where you pretend that you have really pressing business that keeps you from going on the campaign trail. In the case of Richard Nixon, it was like he was the president of the United States. He had to stay in the White House, hence the Rose Garden in the strategy. In the case of Jesus Chuy Garcia, he says he's got pressing business in Congress. I'm laughing at this one, Jesus Chuy Garcia. What pressing business do you have in this lame duck session of Congress? There are no votes that you must attend to. There are no burning issues on the plate right now that you have to deal with. All right. You know, and beside that, you already said you're moving on from Congress. You already said that you want to be the mayor of the city of Chicago. That means you have to run for the mayor. city. They don't just proclaim you the mayor because one poll commissioned by uh, operating engineers says you're the front runner doesn't work that way. You have to campaign for it. Oh, Rose Garden strategy. Now, I kind of don't blame Chewy either. Like, if he were to show up tonight as the number one guy, they'd be pounding him, and he would have to defend himself. So better just insist he has important burning business to do. Now, I get all this. I truly do. I, I understand all. I understand the political tactics that uh, motivate Lori Lightfoot and the political tactics and strategy that motivate uh, Jesus Garcia. But I also got to tell you that it's an indication. It's an indication of the kind of mayor they will be. And I've been down this road. I think I told Kelly before we went in the air, I've been down this road, ladies and gentlemen. I've been covering politics in this city for a long time. And I remember when candidate Rahm Emanuel back in 2010 and 2011, he didn't show up to any mayoral forums either. He was above it all. He had really important, he couldn't even claim he had anything. He wasn't in Congress. He had quit as uh, Barack Obama's White House chief of staff. He had no, he, he couldn't even make it up. He, you know what, give him credit. He didn't even bother with an excuse like Clem Balladoff and Chewy Garcia have come up with some excuse. He just said, no, I'm not going because I'm going to win this thing anyway. I don't have to go, so I'm not going. And right there and then, he showed us what kind of mayor he was going to be. The notion of transparency, the notion of accountability, the notion of meeting your, your citizens face-to-face. -face. 
Within a year, he had done away even with the budget hearing process that Mayor Daly had set up. Mayor Daly used to have that annual budget hearing process where he'd gather all his department heads together in one space, and he would sit in the middle of a long table. The people of Chicago come before him and uh, tell them what they thought about how the city is going. Most of them were praising him, tell them what they would like to see happen with the budget. He would, uh, in, in questions or specific questions about specific departments, he would make like the police chief ask a question or the uh, streets and sand guy, a commissioner answer a question. They were there. Public accountability. Ram, uh-uh. I don't want that. I don't want to be accountable to anyone. He got rid of that one. And he began uh, an era of lack of transparency in the city of Chicago that sort of culminated with the little Quan McDonald video where he refused to release the Quan McDonald video, even though it showed a murder, buried evidence of a murder, all right, until a Cook County judge in a FOIA suit forced him to do it. So Rahm sort of telegraphed the kind of mayor he would be when he was running for mayor by refusing to show up to forums because he didn't want to have to deal with criticism from the other candidates. He didn't want to have to deal with challenging questions from the audience. He was just above it all. So I'm wondering if Jesus Chewy Garcia and his Rose Garden strategy is also telegraphing the kind of mayor he will be if this poll is correct and the citizens of Chicago elect him as their mayor. Chewy, if you were there, I would ask you that question. But then if you were there, I wouldn't have to ask you that question. All right, without further ado, you heard from me. Let's bring on Kelly Garcia, my partner in crime at the Chicago Reader. Uh, at the moment, my partner in crime at the Chicago Reader. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, welcome back, Kelly. Thanks for having me, Ben. All right, so you heard me. Uh, talk about Chewy uh, at the mayoral forum tonight. I have a bunch of things I want to talk to you about, but we're going to start. We're going to start with that. Your general thoughts about uh, Chewy and Lori Lightfoot deciding at this stage in the campaign uh, to stay away from mayoral. I'm, this is not the only mayoral forum that they've been invited to, Kelly. There's going to be a ton of them over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, this is one of the great opportunities for Chicagoans to hear uh mayoral candidates politicians uh give their thoughts and their views this is when it happens so there'll be a whole bunch of these things going forward uh your general thoughts about Lori lightfoot and uh jesus garcia uh ducking this one they're already acting like true mayors ben <laughs> they're avoiding the press they're not taking questions i mean it's like they're already, it's like he's already mayor <laughs> you know you're absolutely right this is what you know, you should expect if he does get elected. I am absolutely treating candidates um, as if they are elected because I want to know what what we're going to have in store. Um, you know, I got to say, as a as a colleague of yours, as a reader reporter, it's you know, to me, I I'm going to make assumptions because again, he's not coming tonight. And if, if he was coming tonight, I wouldn't have to make assumptions. But I'm going to make assumptions. It says a lot that he's not coming to a forum uh, hosted by a, a reader reporter. I don't know. Is he expecting a tough question from you, Ben? I'm curious. What what was he expecting tonight? Um, what what is he scared of answering to? I'm I'm very curious. But um, you know, on a real note, I think it's pretty ironic because if I was if I was going to that forum tonight, I would ask about transparency. I would ask about bringing in the light. Um, as a journalist, we all know that we've struggled with getting answers from the mayor's office. That's not nothing new, and it seems to be getting worse. Just in just the four years that that Lightfoot has been in office, um, Loby and Loby Civil Rights Law Firm has filed over a hundred lawsuits against her office. So we have a real problem with transparency and the mayor's office, and that affects public trust. That doesn't allow us to do our jobs to hold them accountable. So I think it's pretty ironic that uh, the incumbent and the front runner are not showing. And, you know, I, I don't know that that answer of, of being too busy. That's not going to that's not going to that's not going to fly by with a lot of voters. So, I don't know. yeah, yeah, too busy uh, in Congress to show up for a forum for the office that he wants 
He's already announced to the world that he's done being a congressman. He's running for mayor. That's his, hey, it's a free country. That's his decision, you know. But if you want to be mayor, you're right. I Maybe a good idea to show up uh, and uh, address the voters. We just assume they're going to vote for you. Now, you raised uh, a good point about um, transparency uh, transparency in FOIA. And um, I'd love to see to take this a little further. Uh, right now, in my humble opinion, and I've had Matt Topic come on the show a couple times to talk about this. I think I'm going to bring him back. Always fun talking FOIA law uh, with Matt Topic, who's the premier FOIA lawyer in the city of Chicago, is constantly filing FOIA lawsuits on behalf of reporters. Uh, but Kelly, I, the city is so backlogged on FOIA requests. Uh, I have a theory about this, and then I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, the mayor has said in the past, she almost chided reporters that they file too many FOIA requests, and that's why the city is so backlogged on uh, on FOIA on their requests and dealing with their question requests. My take on this is that there are so many unnecessary obstacles that the city of Chicago, under Mayor Lori Lightfoot and under Mayor Rahm, but we're talking Mayor Lori Lightfoot, throw in the pathway of reporters just to get basic elementary information, budget information that should be provided on a routine basis, should, should be on the internet for anyone to find. Instead, they make you file a FOIA request to ask for things that they should be providing anyway. And then they turn around and complain that people are filing too many FOIA requests as though it's total gaslighting, as though it's the reporter's fault that they're being forced to file FOIA requests to get stuff that should be provided them anyway. That's my take on it. What's your view on uh, the contention by uh, Mayor and her uh, uh, allies that reporters file too many FOIA requests? Listen, if stuff was already public, I wouldn't have to file a FOIA. Let's just start there, right? I had, so in, in the fall, I was doing an investigation into um, police officer Federer Collins, also mayoral candidate. Um, in, into his misconduct complaints as a police officer and as a school resource officer um, in Chicago public schools. And I remember asking a very basic question to, I think it was Chicago public schools. Hey, I need to know when this guy worked at CPS. I, I, I need to know when when he was fired, when he started, just the very basics. You know, it was a, it was this, this very simple direct question. And I was told, you're gonna have to file a FOIA. If you're not familiar with the process of filing a freedom of freedom of information act request it takes a minute right you get five days the city or you know whichever department you're working with gets five days to respond to your FOIA request but they can also request another five-day extension so realistically speaking i'm not going to get that for weeks maybe months right for something that was a very basic question so if that stuff was already public, available on the public dashboard, we have a fantastic Chicago city data portal that I love using a lot. But if we, if we as a city like actually worked to hire more staff and to have a better infrastructure to upload data that is publicly available, we wouldn't have to be sitting here filing FOIA requests every day. But that's that's the unfortunate reality. Um, you know, I'm I'm not going to pretend to know if there's you know what needs to change um, in in the state law to also you know make this process efficient. But what I can say on the ground as a reporter who does this for a living every single day, I can say that we don't have enough FOIA officers. When I was working on the Riot Fest investigation, I had one FOIA officer at the Chicago Park District dealing with all of my requests, and they were huge. I mean, I was asking for a lot, you know, and it, it it's just you can't bring in the light when you have one person dealing with a hundred journalists. You can't do it. What were some of the things that you were asking for uh, in that investigation, in the Riot Fest investigation? I mean, some basic stuff like, 
um, I was asking for, I wanted to know, uh, I wanted to see the work orders for the park. I wanted to see, you know, what has the city uh, submitted that, that needs to be fixed in the park? Do we need more uh, bathrooms? Do, do we need better lights? Um, I was asking for emails too, you know, quite frankly, I was asking for emails between the Alderman Park District and Riot Fest. I was looking at the contracts. That was the big piece to that investigation. I wanted to um, look at all the contracts between the Chicago Park District and Riot Fest. And that by itself, each of those contracts took at least three months. Wow at least three months to get. And even then, like, you know, I still had to go, you know, a piece of the investigation was I still had to go back and forth with the park district to make sure that I was interpreting the contracts correctly. Um, so again, you know, this is, it, it's just not, the way that these these uh, media relations offices, the way that, you know, we structure our, um, our, 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 public, our public officers who are in charge of FOIA, it's just not, it's, it's not feasible. It's not possible for them to actually be able to respond to any of our requests in a timely manner, in a legal timely manner. So I'm listening to that. Uh, I can understand why, uh, let's say, aldermanic emails to the park district and uh, from the park district people back to aldermen or alderwomen uh, would not be on public record. I can understand that. Okay. So I could see why a reporter would have to file a FOIA for uh, these kinds of um, interactions. I see no excuse for a contract. That's, a, that's my point. There, there's an example. There is a public document where public, uh, a public park is being essentially rented to a private entity uh, for a certain amount of money, for a certain amount of time, with certain stipulations that absolutely positively should be routinely available on the website of the city of Chicago, the Park District of Chicago, both websites perhaps, so that a Kelly Garcia does not have to file an official FOIA request that goes before some bureaucrat who then follows all those procedural uh, hurdles, clears each one, five days, then you have to file again, whatever it is, whatever like uh, a maze they put you in to uh, in the hopes that you just break down out of exhaustion. Do you follow what I'm saying, Kelly? To me, that's a classic example that you should not. How long did you say it took to get each one of these contracts? Three months. From the... Three months. Yeah. See, now I think, Kelly, uh, I would say the overwhelming majority of citizens in Chicago will never file a FOIA request, will never seek a contract a document from a park district or a board of ed. Uh, so it may not be a pressing issue to them. Do you follow me? Uh, to them, the more pressing issue would be something like crime or taxes. But I, I would submit that this is an ex a very important because if we're going to pretend we have a democracy uh, in which the public is informed, in which these governmental public bodies in, keep us, let us know that we, the people, are actually in charge of them, then we should have this kind of uh, transparency on a routine basis. I think that's a fundamental. Uh, did they have they ever explained to you why something as basic as a contract? Uh, is not just readily available? No. Um, you know, and again, I think it's, what they've told me, what they've implied before is that it has a lot to do with negotiations, right? Um, if they're negotiating a, a, a private contract, if they're, um, you know, if it deals with public dollars and lawyers are involved, you know, a lot of that, you know, is is not public information. Um, but at the end of the day, what I often heard from the FOIA officer was, I'm one person and I have to, you know, each contract was 200 pages. You know, she only has so many hours in the day, so I, of course, have to wait three, three to four months. But again, um, you know, that's that's not just a park district. It's it's so many different departments and agencies across the city. Um, and it's it happened before Mayor Lori Lightfoot and, uh, you know, her key, it, you know, one of her promises that she made in her her campaign in 2019 was that she was going to bring in the light. I don't see the light. No. And uh, before her, Mayor Rahm said it would be the most transparent uh, city ever under him uh, when he was mayor. I think he'd be the most transparent mayor. 
Uh, and that was absolutely laughable when he said it. Uh, and then the way he ran his government uh, made it even more laughable. Uh, and it wasn't much better under Mayor Daley either. Uh, they put you through FOIA hell to get basic documents um, for Mayor Daley. So uh, we've been going backwards, not forwards on this issue uh, since the days of Harold Washington. hate to say it, ladies and gentlemen, but it's all downhill uh, since the days of uh, Mayor Washington. All right, uh, let's get into some of the uh, uh, election uh, topics that we have on our agenda. The last time we were in the show, we said we were going to talk about the police uh uh, district uh, races, and we never got around to it because we got so tied up with other things. So why don't we start off there before we get to aldermen and mayor, uh, and uh, so we get that out of the way because this again is uh, a down ballot uh, a race that people may not know about. Uh, we talked about this in terms of judicial races and the midterms, uh, but that's important nonetheless. So why don't you start by explaining what these uh, council seats are? It's the first time. Uh, that we've had elections uh, for this office. So take it away there, Kelly. Yeah. So the police district councils are a new body of government that were introduced last June um, through the Empowering Public, Empowering Communities for Public Safety. I might get that wrong. There's so many acronyms, by the way, here. So I'll do my best to make this as simple as possible. Um, but it was an ordinance that was passed last year after years of community organizing efforts to hold the police accountable. Um, and that ordinance created two bodies of government. Um, it created one, which is a commission, a seven member council commission um, that serves the entire city on matters related to public safety. Um, and so that seven member council has, um, I would say more direct responsibilities as it pertains to say the police budget, hiring and firing leadership, et cetera. Aside from that police council, this ordinance also created the um, police district councils um, in each of the police districts across the city. Um, and so those police district councils will be three member seats um, that serve as liaisons between the community and um, the police district and also with the uh, liaison with the, with the community commission citywide council. Sorry, so many different terms, but um, uh, I'm gonna try to explain this as easy as possible. So anyways, so these, Police district councils, like Ben said, they're going to be a new body of government, a new elected body of government on your February ballot. Um, these police district councils don't have as many powers as the citywide commission, um, but they are in charge of building a stronger relationship between police officers on a more hyperlocal level and community members. Um, they're going to have to hold monthly meetings. Um, they're going to have to figure out what does um, community public safety look like in their community, right? They're going to have to get input from community residents about what they want to see in a police budget, what they need to understand how public safety works in the city. Um, and I would say one of their biggest priorities is to nominate members to that larger citywide commission. Um, so right now we have interim members to that citywide commission that I mentioned before, and they were appointed by the mayor. Um, but once we have police district council members in each of the seats across the city, they're gonna be able to nominate members to that citywide commission. Um, and that citywide commission, they're gonna be the ones really making a decision and, and making recommendations to the budget, to leadership, to other policies um, and rules related to the police department. Um, there's 22 police districts. Um, as far as I checked, uh, last time I checked, there were at least 122 candidates running. Um, and again, there's three members in each district, but so far what we're seeing this year is most of the, of the councils have crowded races. There are more candidates running than there are seats, which is incredible to see. Um, I think there was a lot of worry about engagement. You know, people reasonably so did not know what these police district councils were. So I think there was a worry that we weren't going to have anyone running. Um, mind you, there are three districts that don't have enough candidates. So I believe that's the first district. Um, that's like Central, South Loop. I may be wrong, but it's Central, first uh, district Central. Uh, the sixth police district, which is Gresham on the south side and then 14th district, Palmer Square on the north side. So those uh, those districts only have two candidates running in each. So um, come February, once those members are elected, um, they're gonna have to make nominations for a third member to get appointed to that, that last seat. Um, 
but you know it, it's it's actually amazing to see but in a lot of police districts we have crowded races um in the ninth district um we've had like at least nine candidates running um mm. so that's going to be interesting to watch um again these you know a lot of people running um their first time candidates um i just published a story in the reader about um the last uh the last day petitions were due and and i got to, i got a chance to talk to all the all the candidates uh, or all the people who were filing their candidates last minute and a lot of the people running for police district councils this is their first time running for office you know they were still figuring out what paperwork they needed to file um they were still figuring out how many signatures they needed a lot of them were just trying to get as many as possible um so that's really exciting to see you know i think we're seeing a lot more uh, public engagement um, because of these police district councils. Um, I think we're also seeing a lot of people from different political, like different sides of the political spectrum. Um, so, Saul uh, Arellano, he's running for police district council, I believe somewhere up Logan Square, um, like Albany Park area. And um, he's a, he's, you know, he's a very young progressive candidate, um, but you're also seeing a lot of candidates who um, you know, are, are, are pro-police um, and are, are more conservative leaning and, and want to make sure that they have a voice in the council as it pertains to, um, you know, police, the police member, the, the sworn police officers in our city. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see the makeup of these police district councils um, and, uh, you know, what kind of recommendations they're going to make um, in terms of policing and public safety in the city. You know, there's an assumption um, that uh, many people seem to have in this city when it comes to uh, like uh, elected oversight bodies, like elected school board or these police districts, that um, the people who run and will take control are of the left. And I've heard this from the get-go. One of the arguments uh, raised constantly by uh, mayoral backers and the mayor himself, Mayor Rahm, and then uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot about elected school board. It was just the radical teachers union would just take control of it. That's how they put it out there. And I always had a smile because my guess is that the charter school industry, when it comes to the, uh, uh, the, the police, uh, the board of education, the newly elected school board, would have a significant uh, hand in that those races. And of course, the charter school industry was in bed with Rahm. Uh, so, you know what I'm saying? It's, I, I think it's more than just the left uh, when it comes to education uh, as people having an interest uh, in the oversight part. And it's a similar thing with the police. I think when these, when this proposal first came out, Kelly, the assumption was it would be, you know, the anti-police protesters, the police reformers, the defund the policers, call them whatever you want to call them, uh, that were going to take control. But what you're telling me is already you're seeing signs from just talking to the people who are signing up to submit their petitions that pro-police, uh, people who want to police to be freed from uh, these oversight requirements uh, are also throwing their hat in the ring. Did you talk to any specific candidates who offered their proposals, uh, their vision of how to make the police department better from this viewpoint? You know, I think I talked to a lot of people who are who are still trying to understand how the police department works. I think that that's, um, a lot of people who are running who have no idea like how our police department functions and they want to have a better understanding so that they can relay that information to their community. Um, I also think, you know, I, I think it's deeper than just a binary issue. I think it's it's more than just candidates who are in favor of defunding the police or, or candidates who are in favor of the police. I think just based on the candidates that I spoke to, I think it comes down to people in their community who who are worried about crime and public safety, right? And and they want to better understand like why that is such a prevalent issue in this city. Um, and like we said before, there's a huge problem with transparency. You know, I, I don't think that people fully understand why the police budget is so bloated. Um, and so, you know, I again, like I said, I, I talked to a lot of younger folks uh, who've never been in an office before, and so I think they're still figuring out like what they're issues like what their platform is really going to be um so i i didn't really hear any exact like proposals or solutions um but i did hear a lot of eagerness um a lot of ambition um and so 
it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, this is the first year, right? So we're all, I think everyone's figuring it out as we go. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see um, what kind of policies come out of these police district councils and the citywide commission. Yeah, the only uh, the only historical comparison I could think of is that there was briefly a moment uh, in the early 90s when uh, Mayor Day was just getting started. The school board nominating commission uh, that's long since been uh, eradicated by law that gave the mayor control of the schools. But the school board nominating commission, which was uh, made up of local school council members, uh, got to submit names to the mayor that uh, he chose from for the school board. Uh, and the mayor was always complaining, Mayor Daly, always complaining that his hands were tied by the school board nominating commission uh, and that he was just sick and tired of having to deal with them. Chicago doesn't do well with democracy. OK, just telling you that, Kelly, in my opinion. So uh, this this police council reminds me in many ways of the local schools uh, councils. Uh, when they were first created back in the early uh, 90s, uh, who, and they had the school board nominating commission, uh, which had to say and who would be the head of the schools. Uh, so my guess is, this is just my guess, uh, whoever is elected mayor will quickly become irritated by uh, recommendations put forth by the police council. Uh, we'll finally, we'll see them more as just an annoyance, uh, you know, an impractical a body uh, that he or she has to deal with. That's my sense. Uh, what's your thoughts about this? Yeah, no, honestly, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I've been concerned about is how successful these police district councils will be. Um, so there's, um, like I, I mentioned before, um, so district councils will be able to nominate members to the commission and <clears throat> Again, this is all in collaboration with the mayor. So what I'm what I suspect will happen is that there's going to be a lot of disagreement between whoever's mayor and whoever ends up in these police district councils and in these commissions. And there's going to be a deadlock because the mayor is going to have to agree with the recommendations from the police district councils. And if not, the police district council members are just going to have to keep coming up with nominations until the mayor agrees. Um, and then at the end of the day, it's the city council who's going to have to approve um, who gets on the commission. So, hmm. you know, I suspect a lot of deadlocks <laughs> in the future. Um, I am glad that you brought up the local school councils because I think that <clears throat> local school councils where, um, you know, the, the idea was to implement, you know, more democracy, a, a democratic process to how schools, you know, how we govern schools in our city. Um, has that worked you know i think today if, if you ask me about local school councils i think it's a great you know opportunity for parents for teachers and for students at the high school level to get involved um to have a say in their curriculum and their even though their individual school budget but you know often what i've seen is a lot of you know a lot of it some some schools like the lsc is like the principal's pet project or as we saw with the school resource votes um from uh 2020 local school councils can vote to remove school resource officers from all the schools, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, the school district is going to is going to decide otherwise. So they're, you know, they can easily ignore whatever the local school councils decide. And I think that's something that we should anticipate happening with the police district councils is that their powers will be reduced or at least watered down. Um, a lot of it is already watered down from what the original proposal was for uh, like community led police accountability. Um, you know, a lot of it is, is, you know, advisory or recommendations. Um, so I, how can we go down from that? I don't know, but I they'll find the mayor will find a way, whoever that will be, they will find a way. No, they, uh, like I said, we like the concept of democracy, but the practice of it is a little challenging, uh, for Chicago. And I'm sure uh, now I think about it, a lot of people in the city of Chicago may not like the concept of democracy either. Uh, all right, uh, let's move on to uh, the challenges. This is always uh, just a fascinating in the, the weeds aspect of Chicago elections. Uh, yes, they're pretty much open to anybody can run. Uh, what you need to do is gather a number of signatures to a petition, which you submit to the Chicago Board of Election, and then they put you on the ballot. Not so fast. Uh, your 
petitions can be challenged. Uh, and if they're deemed inadequate, if you don't have the good signatures the, that you need to make it, if they've success, if your challengers have successfully challenged the signatures that you've gathered as being unlawful, not complying by the rules and regulations, those signatures get bounced, and ultimately the candidate can get bounced from the ballot. We've seen it happen many, many times. Uh, so let's talk about it. Let's start with Alderman. We'll get to the mayors. Uh, we'll conclude with the mayors. Uh, have you been following? Uh, I know you have been following it. Uh, so which which are some of the more interesting challenges going on uh, in the aldermanic races right now? So I'm following Vico Alvarez. She's running for alderwoman in the 15th ward. So she was running unopposed. Um, well, not unopposed, but she wasn't going. She didn't think she had a challenge. She didn't think she was going to have an incumbent uh, alder alderman to challenge um, because Raymond Lopez was running for mayor. And then the day petitions are due, Raymond Lopez says, oh, I'm not running for mayor anymore. <laughs> it's not gonna help our fight against Lori Lightfoot. So never mind, I'm gonna run for Alderman, for Alderman again. Uh, which to me, you know, again, uh, I just think he couldn't get enough signatures because you need 12,500 signatures for mayor. That's a lot. Um, that's just me. Uh, but anyways, he's running for uh, re-election again in the 15th ward. So now uh, Vico Alvarez is a challenger. She's challenging him. Um, and so I noticed that she, uh, her petition signatures got challenged by someone named Evelyn Rosso. So of course I did some Googling, uh, found that Evelyn Rosso is a, a political operative, a, a Raylo political operative. Um, she's actually challenging a lot of people on the ballot. Um, I, she, she even went so far, I think is challenging some police district council candidates because yes, if even if you are running for a lower level office in the city, you can still get your signatures challenged because everyone know that it works. So sorry folks, if you thought you were gonna uh, avoid all the political shenanigans in the city by running for a, a smaller uh, you know, office that no one knows about, you were wrong. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of candidates get their uh, signatures challenged. But anyways, 15th Ward is an interesting one to me. I saw Jill Moreno over there in the, four, in the first ward uh, and Sam Royko also got their uh, signatures challenged. That's going to be an interesting race. Wait, come on, were they challenged by the same uh, challenger? No, uh, different. different challengers, actually. I don't recognize any of the names. Okay. Um, that's a, you know, that's something that I'd love to talk about, too, because a lot of the people who sign up to challenge other candidates petition signatures are people who I, I don't know like the names aren't familiar most of the time at least they're people that like you know they're regular chicagoans out in the street not not always politically engaged but someone must have told them to challenge someone like why why all of a sudden this is random person challenging a candidate like it's i don't know do you have well, any theories ben yeah oh my god it's one of my favorite uh <laughs> Look, we are so in the weeds here, uh, but this is how Chicago politics plays out. Uh, so, yes, generally, uh, here. Okay, here's the rule. The rule is that if you're going to challenge the the validity of a candidate's uh, candidacy, either through because he didn't fill out the candidacy papers correctly, sometimes that's a challenge, uh, or if uh, he or she uh, doesn't have adequate signatures, uh, you have to live in the district of the candidate running. So so in the case of the 50, 15th ward, it has to be a 15th ward resident. In the case of the first ward, it has to be a first ward resident. Uh, so if you, in many cases, if you wanna know who's really behind the challenge, you have to see who the attorney is. So they'll get, let's say first ward, the person challenging Sam Rico is Billy Bob. I'm just making that up. I have no idea. I assume there's not even a Billy Bob who lives in the first war. But let's just say the person's name is Billy Bob and you never heard of Billy Bob. You Google Billy Bob uh, and nothing shows up. Then you got to look and see who the lawyer is, who's actually doing the dirty work, okay? Arguing before the uh, the election board as to why uh, Sam Rico should be bounced off the ballot. Uh, and that lawyer, you could generally trace back to a, a particular party you get what i'm saying so you oh that's the lawyer for i don't know danny la i'm making all this up who's the incumbent alderman of the first war so that 
that's generally how that's generally how the game uh, goes. In some cases, like you were saying, the challengers are just known challengers. You know what I mean? They're known political operatives. They don't care. They don't care if their identity is concealed. They're kind of proud of the fact that they do this. They like talking to reporters. So feel free to call me up and they're going to throw all kinds of dirt at, to you, at you regarding the candidate they're challenging. So sometimes it's that situation. But many cases, you're right. They just take ordinary citizens that you know, that serve the purpose of having someone, um, you know, who lives in the ward. And you'll have these like really important decisions uh, being made ultimately about the fate of a candidate uh, and the name in the lawsuit. You know, it's like Billy Bob versus uh, Sam Rico. Billy Bob will be a completely anonymous citizen, and yet their name will be linked to a very important decision. It's one of the peculiarities of our system. So that's generally uh how it goes in many cases the the once they file the the challenge these ordinary citizens drop out of the situation the picture altogether they don't follow the case they don't show up at court the hearings you, you know what i mean they probably don't even know what happens um so I'm, it's interesting that there's two separate challengers uh so in the first ward race that you just uh sam royko is running proco joe moreno the pro former alderman are running there they're not united in any way they both want to uh beat uh, daniel espada so we presume that daniel espada has something to do with the challenges that's just an assumption i'm making kelly garcia don't you think that's a safe assumption to make yeah um you know i i think it's safe to assume that any incumbent is gonna is gonna challenge their challengers um, so I, I think that's a safe assumption to make. Um, you know, I like what you said earlier about sometimes there's people, the well-known challengers, and immediately I thought of your friend Ricky Hendon. <laughs> um, so, you know, we got to talk about Ricky Hendon and uh, Jay Walgreen and, oh, my God, what a race. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I had said uh, that Ricky Hendon would be a guest on the show Thursday, and he texted me to say he's ill. So I hope you're feeling better, Ricky. I'm not certain he will be on the show this Thursday, uh, but uh, let's get him on eventually. Yeah, my old friend, Ricky Hendon. Uh, I've been following Ricky's political careers going back a long, long time. Uh, so, Kelly, do you want to tell a story of, or do you want me to tell a story? I'll let you uh, tell what went down with uh, Ricky Hendon and Jay Maul Green. Round two of their fight to keep, on Ricky Hendon's part, to keep uh, J. Maul Green from making the ballot. Go ahead. Yeah, so Ricky Hendon, uh, political advisor uh, to Willie Wilson, uh, is challenging J. Maul Green's signatures um, in his attempt to run for mayor. This is a second time this has happened. If you watched City So Real, uh, you can see there, <laughs> I think it's like five to ten minutes of them arguing with the with the uh, with the judge from the Board of Elections office just sitting in between them, uh, having to hear them both bicker at each other. But um, <clears throat> a video was released, um, I believe, on Instagram through Chicago Media Takeout, which is an Instagram account. And the video shows um, a Jamal Green uh, like campaign worker um, taking a phone call from Ricky Hendon. And in this phone call, Ricky Hendon, who's on speakerphone, uh, is essentially trying to bribe this campaign worker um, into, Ben, you don't have to correct me here because I'm here, into it, dropping the challenges, correct? That's what it was. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I think that was, I, I laughed, honestly, when I first saw that because, as we mentioned, neither of them are front runners. Willie Wilson and Jamal Green are not front runners in this race. But Ricky Hendon, a well known political operative, former state senator, uh, is adamant. I'm getting Jamal Green kicked off the ballot. Um, Greg Pratt from the Chicago Tribune tweeted that, um, you know, uh, Ricky Hendon, uh, I think, had a problem with a joke. I think Jamal Green had joked something about uh, his mama, your, your mama, or something like that. Uh, and Jamal Green didn't deny that he didn't say that to Ricky Hendon in 2019, but he said, you know, maybe, you know, essentially the both of them were willing to do whatever it takes to kick each other off the ballot. Um, so this feud, you know, it's years in the making now. Uh, but I, again, it's interesting to me because neither of them are the front runners and they're willing to do this much. Uh, ben, I know you probably have a lot more context to add to this. Well, I, so there's, uh, 
two uh, strands going on here at once. As you and Greg Pratt are getting at, there's a personal dispute, uh, and then there's a strategic maneuver. So I'll deal with the strategic maneuver first. Uh, again, I'll say this a million times before February 28th. We have a runoff system. So no one is going to get over 50%. We all know that. It's just not going to happen. There's too many candidates in the race, and there's no like, hugely popular candidate, all-powerful candidate running. So the, the top two will probably face off in a runoff in April, okay? So the key right now is making that runoff. Got to get that runoff. And conservative estimates say you need at least 15% of the vote in a divided race to make the runoff. And maybe more this year because – Unlike last time, there are two, at the moment, candidates with a lot of name recognition uh, in uh, Chuy Garcia and Lori Life, but whatever. But anyway, conservative estimates, 15% of the vote. Uh, Willie Wilson has a lane to get to that 15% of the vote, Kelly. He's got a lane. He's got a well-known name. Uh, he's, I think this is his third time running for uh, mayor. He's made a lot of um, friends by giving away money for gas, giving away gas, groceries, et cetera, and so forth, pay your utility bills. He was a leader in the fight against masks. So he's got some popularity, uh, mastering COVID with the MAGA crowd. Uh, so he has a lane uh, to get to that 15% and make the runoff. But Jay Mile Green's a threat because it's another black man. And the, the notion in the basic Chicago uh, politics is that too many black candidates in a race divides up the black vote. That's just kind of a, like a, a governing principle in Chicago today, which I don't even think is that accurate anymore or uh, it's not as true as it used to be, whatever. So uh, Ricky Hendon's strategy from 2019 uh, that's carrying over to this time is to knock off uh, black men who are running in the race so that Willie Wilson has a uh, is alone as the black male candidate. Now, I can't knock Brandon Johnson out of the race because that Chicago Teachers Union got a lot of signatures. So I'm not going to waste his time on that one. Uh, but some of the lesser known, he's going after Rod Sawyer, Alderman Rod Sawyer. They think they're going to knock Rod Sawyer off the, the ballot as well. And then you got the personal animosity that you alluded to that you could see if you watch City So Real, where they almost came to blows. And I, uh, that's where the, the your mama... Uh, line was uh, uttered in that 2019 challenge. I think it's personal on a level. You know what I'm saying? It's it's beyond just political strategy, trying to get to that runoff. It's like personal. I'm not going to let you run. Uh, and you know the curious thing is in City So Real, Ricky also went after Niels um, Salas Griffin, who's not running in this race, but he ran in 2019, uh, a black man, a young black man. And um, he had them. He had successfully challenged enough petitions on Neil's uh, uh, nominating petitions to get him bounced. And then he decided to relinquish and let go. He liked, I've had Ricky on the show talking about this, Kelly. He actually liked Neil. He goes, you know what? I'm going to let you on the ballot. Even though it totally undercuts the whole point of like kicking black guys off the ballot because you want... Willie Wilson be the only black man running. He said, no, I like you. You're a good guy. And it's really hard not to like Neil. He really is, in my humble opinion, a good guy. So, and in the movie, you can see Ricky going, I like you. And then the, the Board of Election Commissioner people are mad at Ricky. They're like, you can't do that. <laughs> then, he, then he gets into a fight with the Board of Election Commissioners. So it's an insane system we have, in my humble opinion, Kelly. You get what I mean? And it just results in things like this with these uh, personal animosities, these feuds, they linger for years. Uh, and this public body is the venue that these fights are held. So that's my take on it. It's a combination of strategy and personal feuds that are being, uh... now the interesting thing, Willie Wilson and uh, J. Mal Green will be at tonight's mayoral forum. So maybe they'll, personally address this issue what do you think kelly you think they'll personally address this issue at tonight's forum you know i think i think you're right i i would hope they address that let me know if they do and i want to get that um but 
you know, I think you're right. I think Willie Wilson definitely has that name recognition amongst Black voters. And he knows that because now he's expanding his base, his base right? In this, this year's election, he's trying to to attract white voters, Latino voters too. Um, and even in that poll that we talked about earlier from Local 150 um, that showed Garcia was a front runner, it even said in that, in that, in that article that the, the Black vote right now between Garcia and Lightfoot is split. So, you know, I, I think Willie Wilson, again, I've said this before, we should not undermine him. We should not undermine him. He has that recognition. And to be honest, like he's been putting himself in the spotlight just, you know, since the pandemic with the gas giveaways, um, you know, all the different, you know, photo opportunities he has. I mean, he's people know him. People people know Willie Wilson. People don't know Brandon Johnson. I have to be real about that. Um, that same poll showed that. Um, I think it was like 70 percent of voters um, didn't have an opinion on him. Um, so, you know, I, I think what we're seeing is that, um, you know, he ha- he does have to rely a lot on, on the endorsements because people don't know Brandon Johnson, but they know the Chicago Teachers Union. So we have to be real about that because, right, there's definitely a lot of Black candidates in this race. And I, I understand now that strategy that, that Ricky Hendon is is using against Jamal Green. Um, and it's it's not a dumb one. Um, if you absolutely can get him kicked off the ballot, he could be a front runner or a, a, he could be in the runoff. Yeah, that's and, and I'd also put uh, that Willie Wilson is contention for the MAGA vote. And I always talk about the MAGA vote in the city of Chicago, which is the Trump vote, the Rauner vote, uh, and the Darren Bailey vote. Fifteen percent of the city, fifteen percent of the city, and Willie Wilson uh, voted for Rauner, voted for Trump. I don't don't know who he voted for in this twenty twenty election. I haven't talked to him. Did he vote for Trump? Did he vote? Uh, for Joe Biden, I don't know. I don't know if he voted for Darren Bailey or voted for J.B. Pritzker, but in the past, he's been a Trump voter and he voted for Rauner. So, uh, and he uh, led the fight or is one of the leaders in the fight uh, against uh, the rules that um, shut down church services uh, during the pandemic. And um, I remember him showing up at a Northside church, a predominantly white church, I think all white church, uh, and uh, to show support for the parishioners who wanted to have their Sunday service and held a Sunday service in defiance of the mayor's order not to hold Sunday services. So he could have the anti-vax, anti-mask crowd vote. Blocking him in that lane is Paul Vallis. So you could make the argument that Ricky Hannon should be trying to knock Paul Vallis off the ballot, uh, which I have no idea how many signatures that Paul Vallis submitted. as well as uh, not trying to knock off J. Mel Green. But Paul Vallis and Ricky Hannon are kind of friends. They're friendly. And you cannot say that uh, J. Mel Green and Willie Wilson are friends or friendly. Uh, so there may be, like I said, the personal animosity uh, may be creeping into it as much as the political strategy. Um, anyway, we're almost out of time. Any breaking news about Kelly Garcia? Uh, you want to take this opportunity to break uh, before we close down the show? Yeah. Um, so at the start of the new year, I will be back at Injustice Watch. So I'm going to be leaving my beloved Chicago reader. Um, I'm so sad and heartbroken. I really do. I, you know, I've learned and, and grown so much this past year being at the reader. Um, and you know, I, it's been a hell of a year at the reader too. I mean, so many different changes and, you know, again, we were at risk of losing the paper. And so, um, you know, I I think I'm always going to be bonded at the hip with a lot of my colleagues there, but, um, yeah, I'll be at Injustice Watch. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more of that deep dive investigative work. Um, but I'm hoping to still be on the show here. I still want to talk to Ben about politics. So you'll still catch me on here. You can't get rid of me. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I'll be in Justice Watch. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's something about me and my partners in crime uh, at The Reader. My partners in crime at The Reader move on. And I stay at The Reader. Uh, my first partner in crime at The Reader, Mick Dumkey, uh, he's moved on. Maya Dukmasova, uh, my second partner in crime, she moved on. We're still doing uh, the... Uh, the uh, first Tuesday show. Uh, and now Kelly, you're moving on and I wish you the best of luck. Uh, you're a hell of a reporter and uh, the reader's loss is injustice watch gain. Uh, but since I got a, uh, a sworn 
sign commitment, ladies and gentlemen, that could uh, def- uh, survive any challenge, even by Ricky Hendon, okay? That Kelly Garcia will come back and be a regular guest on my show. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, and so we've submitted the papers with the Chicago Board of Election Commissioner. Ricky Hannon called me up this morning. He goes, Ben, these, this document is so valid. I'm not even going to challenge it. So uh, whatever. I made all that up, ladies and gentlemen. So, <laughs> Kelly, best of luck to you. And um, you. You know, I hope you win a Pulitzer. You and Maya, uh, great, great reporters, great friends. And uh, best of luck to you, all right? Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. That's great, Kelly Garcia. Still. Uh, a Chicago reader, but soon to be an Injustice Watch uh, reporter. We're still drawing Maya, who's also at Injustice Watch. All right, thank you very much, Kelly Garcia. I also want to thank uh, producer Chris sitting in for Dr. D today. Outstanding job, Chris, as you always do. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 